Ten years after the simian flu wiped out much of the world's homo sapiens, genetically enhanced chimpanzee Caesar and his ever-growing band of followers have established a thriving colony just outside San Francisco in Mirror Woods. Meanwhile, a small band of human survivors emerges which forces Caesar as leader to grapple with the dual challenge of protecting his people and re-establishing a relationship with the remaining human population, the latter being Caesar's secret wish. Welcome to Legit Cool Podcast, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts, pop culture experts. We dive deep into the world of cinema. I said that really, really weirdly. We dive deep into the world of cinema and embark on an exciting journey through the latest blockbusters, hidden gems, and timeless classics. My name is River, and I'm joined with third time, it's the third time now, guest. It is. Yeah, yeah it is the third time, right? Yeah, for third time guest, Rick Annecy. And it's, uh, I always mess that up. I always mess it up. Rick Anessi. That's okay. That's good. Thanks, River. <laughs> Thanks for having me back again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're slowly becoming part of the furniture now. How do you feel about that? Yeah, well, let's see where this goes. Uh, I might get addicted to this. Um, you're very so, good at it, though. You're very, very good at it. Yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I feel very humbled by that and uh, coming from a pro, so thank you. <laughs> Not at all, man. The pleasure is ours. And um, we are back with the second part of the Apes trilogy um, review and recap for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. If you haven't seen the previous episode, scene, you probably can't see it. You can only hear it. If you haven't already listened to the previous Review and recap, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Make sure you check that one out. That was episode 078. That is the 78th episode. And now we're up to the 80th episode of the Zoo Cool Podcast. Mm, wow. Wow. 80. Um, I'm still trying to think about what we're going to do for the 100th episode. Any ideas? 
Ooh, uh, well, uh, we were look, entertaining Rogue One, weren't we? Like uh, to to check out. Yeah, unless well, you Rogue One go... is in the schedule, but it's meaning it's we have to do it soon in the next uh, couple of weeks. I think it is. Or I have to check on Justin's schedule. Uh, we'll have to touch base with him on um, when he's actually available, and we have to we have to be accommodating to his time. So he lives in LA at the moment because he's working at uh, Industry okay. Light and Magic. So shout out to Justin. Can't wait to have him on the podcast. It's going to be cool. So a little bit of a teaser for the listener here that we're going to get someone super experienced and has worked on incredible films as a visual effects artist. He's going to be joining us for the Rogue One Review and Recap podcast. Um, But yeah, so for the 100th episode, I mean, it could be the start of the Star Wars. um, The Star Wars, what would you call it? Star Wars, I I can't even think of the name. Films. It's probably a good way to say yeah. <laughs> Journey, absolutely. The Star Wars Journey or the Star Wars uh, um, uh, universe, let's say that. Um, okay. We've had a few people that have said if we could actually review all the Star Wars movies, and um, I've sort of been tossing and turning on how I wanted to do that because I definitely do want to do it, but um, and I absolutely love those films. But um, it's just a matter of time because if we do it, it's it's a deep, it's a deep hole we've got to go into. We have to cover nine oh films. God. That is one hell of an investment, River. Um, but really maybe good. if uh, your fans can narrow it down for us, that might um, put us on the right uh, direction with this. So I mean, uh, can <laughs> do you want them to just say, just do episode four, five, and six? That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all we want you to do. I don't know if I could do nine, nine episodes. My God. All right. I mean, I think it will only be That's fair. It will only be fair if you do all. Did I say nine, six? I mean, there's six episodes, right? Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. There's nine, 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 nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Episode one to nine. Yeah. So if we, it's, it's only fair that we do it. We'll do all nine and give a very, very good deep dive and overview on all those films. But um, so maybe, maybe the hundredth episode is episode four, or we do it in chronological order and go episode one. I don't know. But I do know that the MCU is coming up for us. Um, that's mm. going to be a really, really fun one. Been meaning to make some time to start the MCU because people, some of the listeners know that myself and some of the other boys that jump on the podcast are massive MCU fans. Um, but we should we should clarify that we're massive uh, OG MCU fans. I can't believe we're, we're calling OG. You know, we're talking about the Infinity Saga just, from Iron Man to... Avengers Endgame, um, yeah, yeah, but we'll, we'll do the whole MCU, and we'll, we'll we'll have to just interject MCU films in amongst the schedule that we normally have with all the films that we want to review on the podcast. So yeah. Um. Anyway, we're here to talk about Dawn mm. of the Planet of the Apes, directed by Matt Reeves. You might know him for Cloverfield, Let Me In, War of the Planet of the Apes, which we're going to be doing after this, of course. And one of them, one of his most latest, or no, the, his most latest project is the Batman. And I know Rick, mm. you're a big fan of the Batman, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're a big fan. Yeah, we we spoke to, spoke of it um, at length uh, in the our first podcast together. So, uh-huh. no, 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 we did yes. we did the Dark Knight together. Did we do the Dark Knight? Yeah, yes, yeah, we did. Yeah. Yes, but this is this is the we, the Batman that came yeah. out a couple of years ago or last year. Was it last year? Yeah, we looked at like the development of Batman as a character, like uh, and the direction that it was heading. So, mm. 
Yeah. That was intense. It was a very, very intense. Uh, the writers of this film is Mark Bombeck, who is known for movies such as Live Free or Die Hard. Did you like the Die mm-hmm. That was the last Die Hard film, right? That was the one with uh, Shia LaBeouf, I think. Live yeah, Free I, or Die look, Hard? Or I, is, there, yeah. is there a different one? Maybe yes. Die Hard 5. No, there was a, a, a well, this one, uh, five, with right? Australian actor. Um, oh, yeah. Guy it, and, yes. And look, really enjoyable, edge of your seat sort of stuff. They kept you engaged. Fantastic. Oh, okay. Also, Total Recall, uh, that's the 2012 one, so the remake from mm-hmm. um, uh, Arnie's one. Um, he was also a writer mm-hmm. on Wolverine and Dawn of yeah, this movie, obviously, and also War of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, the other two writers, Rick Jaffa, the, uh, Rick Jaffa is known for Jurassic World, Mulan, Arise, and War of the Planet of the Apes, and then lastly, Amanda Silver, who did Avatar 2, and also Jurassic World and Mulan. So it seems like Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver work closely together, and Mark Bombach is kind of a lone warrior in this one here. Um, mm-hmm. Music by... The great and one of my favorite music composers today, Marco Giacchino, famous for Rogue One, Jurassic Park, uh, all the new Jurassic Park films. So that's, uh, what's it, Jurassic Mm -hmm. World is the first one. The second one is Mm -hmm. uh, Lost Kingdom. I can't remember. Uh, Yes, but you know, he also did the uh, score to the TV series Lost. Oh, did he? Okay. Wow. As well, yeah. So now he did the when, whole you, when you realize these things, yeah, and co- in collaborations as well. So, oh, wow. But ma- yeah, definitely Marvel Universe. But Rogue One is the one that kind of just um, stands st- out. Just stands Beautiful, out for me. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. Um, he also did all the new Star Trek films along J.J. Abrams. Um, he did a lot of MCU films, Spider- all the Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. He did the original score mm-hmm. for Doctor Strange, which I remember. That's a memorable score too. And I didn't know Michael Giacchino at the time. I remember watching that film going, oh, there's a very there's a very um, memorable motif in here. You know, every time Doctor Strange has his moment when he gets the cape, it's got that sort of build to almost a crescendo, but not quite a crescendo, which is, yeah. yeah. It's it's in my mind, but I'm not going to even attempt to try and sound it out. <laughs> and yet, he's been composing, collaborating since the 1970s. Wow, yeah. that's a long time. That's epic. Yeah, as a that is a very decorated career, if I must say. Brilliant. Uh, this movie stars Gary Oldman, Kerry Russell. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot that Kerry Russell was in this. When I rewatched this the other night, I was like, Kerry Russell. Wow. Uh-huh. Um. Yeah, I, I really like Kerry Russell. Andy Circus, Cody Smith McPhee, Jason Clark, Toby Cabal, mm-hmm. Kibble or Kebel, Kirk Acevedo, Nick Thurston, Terry Notary, Karen Conaval, and Judy Greer. This movie has a runtime mm-hmm. of two hours and ten minutes, with a budget slightly higher than the previous Rise of the Planet of the Apes, 170 million. And it had a whopping box office intake of 710.6. That is almost 400 million more than the first one. Quite deserved. Quite deserved. This had to have been had to have been the best movie out of the trilogy. Mm, mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this one was released on August 5th, 2011. Um, sorry, 2014. 14, yep. 
was actually July. I did that wrong. So <laughs> July 2014. Um, and I didn't even change the Rotten Tomatoes score. But I remember the Rotten Tomatoes score. If I can bring this up really quickly. I remember the Rotten Tomatoes score being way higher. I mean, maybe not way higher, but mm-hmm. like by 10 points higher um, compared to Rise. And I'm, I'm sure it sounds like we both agree um, with this. Dawn of mm-hmm. the, oops, Dawn of the Planet Apes, um, 91% from the critics and 88% from the audience. Um, which side do you side on? It's not really that much different, 91 and 88. No. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm giving it a, the, the same sort of score on this as well. So, mm, yeah. Um, t- totally in agreement with either. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and as I mentioned before, like at the intro of this episode, um, the plot sets us about 10 years after the Simeon flu uh, wiped out the world's homo sapiens, mm-hmm. uh, human beings. Um, a very, very sort of quick way of saying, hey, by the way, there's no more, the human beings are extinct. <laughs> or becoming, <laughs> pretty much. or they are pretty much extinct. That's what the film is trying to tell us. And this is where we are in, in this point of history, which is 10 years later. Um, and the, we know this because the reference was actually made as uh, uh, 10 winters have passed. That's right. Yeah. So that was the reference in time for the, the primates. That's right, yeah. Um, the consensus for this is with intelligence and emotional resonance to match its stunning special effects, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes expands on its predecessor with an exciting and ambitious burst of sci-fi achievement. Now, Rick, what is mm-hmm. your first impression, short review on this film? Go. <laughs> oh, for goodness sake. Look, I, look I, I really, really, really enjoyed this film. Um, Reeves, honestly, I mean, as far as the comparisons to humans, um, the apes were always a lot more complex than this, and I found humans very, very... Uh, two-dimensional uh i thought reeves was really uh daring in taking it to a, such a dark dark place but it was also quite satisfied because it humans were so fragile i think the film was ultimately about how universal the instinct and the very basic instinct is uh, for violence and how easily and automatically we can like turn to it in moments of fear desperation and like intense emotional duress we're looking at a situation of the walking dead type of uh humanity being wiped out and we always went back to that the that ethical corrosion of um hanging on to a, a gun or a rifle um yeah like universal instinct instance, violence. right like primal human completely instance. completely yep yep and you see this when caesar picks up a rifle for the first time, and we realize how similar we actually all are. Whether true or untrue, right? <laughs> we, yeah, have to, we, have to, we have to include our religious brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, we do, uh, let's go back to... to we're, we're not that close to bonobos after all, but anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, brilliant movie. Brilliant movie. Brilliant. All right. Yeah, and again, two hours didn't feel like two hours. Mm, mm. Um, 
Yeah, Mr. Reeves uh, certainly steered it. And he, he really withheld any sensationalistic sort of like scenery or anything that was kind of like raw or cinematic uh, for quite a long time within the film. It only happened towards the end uh, during the explosive scenes with the, when the C4 was being set off uh, in the tower to try to end uh, the um, apes' uh, lives. That's right, yeah. Yeah, the restraint was good, but it, it, it held on, uh, held my attention for such a long time. Um, you, you you could see, obviously, the, the technology was vastly improved from the first movie. Um, and the real, the, the, the apes were so much more lifelike in this. In fact, you actually forgot about the fact that they were CGI. It, it, it just, it was irrelevant. And, and that was great because you focused more on the apes than on the humans because the, the humans really were less of the focus in this movie. The apes seemed to be far more organized and incredibly happy in comparison to how uh, uh, awful that the humanity was actually existing in, in this small confined area. A very, very desperate, um, sad group of people that were left behind. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a study on um, how what happens with humans when they're stripped of everything that they've been privileged with, um, mm-hmm. and uh, what are we willing to do? Which doesn't surprise me, and I'm actually glad that this movie doesn't focus too much on how complex human beings can get to create or invent things, and um, sort of fast track. Uh, a new life or something, right? Or or a new revolution. I'm glad that the film didn't do that. <clears throat> and you're right. I'm glad the sure. film just just focused a lot more on the apes and developing those characters and the apes. They were far more complex. I mean, we 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 kind of dwelled a little bit on how um, that the immediate grief was. Uh, you know, it was it, it was very immediate. It was raw and it was painfully real. Uh, for the humans, and they were entirely desperate. But uh, the apes were certainly a lot more well-organized in every respect. Um, and I, I sat watching it with someone whose first language is not English, and yet they were totally invested in the film just by the emotions and the mannerisms and the interactions between the apes. Uh, it was so seamless and so easy for them. Was, um, um, was yeah, that first language that. Uh, sign language, perhaps? <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> um, no, it wasn't actually. So, um, we, which made it all the more enjoyable watching them sort of like uh, feel so fall into the storyline so easily and the emotion behind it. Yeah. Like, and you know what? Even and I've got to say, I felt less sorry for the humans than um i should have been more angry at the apes especially mm. koba the way that the direction that he that he took the movie yeah but i i didn't feel sorry for the humans mm. that's fair that's fair i i, no, I don't think matt reeves yeah. is trying to depict any any kind of uh, uh empathy that we're supposed to have for humans I don't think that's his intention sure um and we'll, we'll this just, is a survival of a species though yeah yeah, it was. Yeah, that that that's what you know he was trying to sort of like convey. But it, I don't think he was that interested in the survival for the humans, <laughs> and it felt kind of like that. Yeah, I hope he's not a nihilistic person in real life. 
No, but I, you know, I wanted to know where it went to, though. I really did want to know where, where the story went to after this. That's true. I, I don't, I don't have a very vivid memory of War of the Planet of the Apes, so I, I'm kind of mm-hmm. going into War of the Planet of the Apes blind. So, if it does, it do something similar to what what Rise and Dawn does, where there's this massive time jump. Um, does it do that with? dawn to war as well do you remember that yeah look a little bit but we kind of look 10 years 10 years wasn't like a great deal of time really Mm -hmm. um and i think it was necessary to sort of like look at uh decay decay in a very uh the, the, the scenes of san francisco the way that it was um in disrepair it was incredibly sad um but I think he it kind of played out to that time frame. I think he needed to sort of like do that. Uh, the other thing where they you were talking about like speeding up a storyline just out of pure convenience was, and this was a little bit disappointing. But they they can't. The humans decided, uh, you know, we needed to go out and find another resource out of desperation, and it was going to be the dam. But they only had two weeks to do it in, so they had to like really hurry it up, kind of thing. I, I thought, okay, that was a little bit convenient, the two-week thing. Like, you're only looking at it now, two weeks, you're running out, and here we are. That was a l- little bit sort of like I felt a bit prickly about that. But I understand you, you've got to get it there somehow, and this is where we are. The two weeks, I think, could have been irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree. Um, is it my turn? Did you want to say anything yeah, else? More like, did you want to expand more no, on your please. thing or? Oh, you're the host. Okay, okay. I mean, we're, we're going to dive in deep in once we get into the favorite part of the episode, which is the recap. But um, brilliant. But okay, so my my first impressions is, oh, today when we finally made the decision to <laughs> to record this podcast today tonight, I was so excited yeah. because. I really love this movie, and I think I love it more than your average person that might enjoy this. Um, and after watching it again, it just it still reiterates why I love this film. And and I think a lot of it is to, to do with the technical prowess. I don't know if you want to call it prowess, but it, the the just the technical aspects of this film is brilliant from the sound design to the musical score i cannot get over the musical score and after watching um the original planet of the apes with uh what's the name richard no not richard what's his name the original guy from planet of the apes oh roddy mcdowell no 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 the guy roddy, Ro- what roddy mcdowell no the guy the, the, main, TV. the main actor of planet of the apes oh andy circus no, the original Planet of the Apes from 1970, 1969. Yeah, Roddy McDowell. Oh, Roddy McDowell. He, uh, yeah, yeah, he played uh, Cornelius. Oh, no, no, no. And, Chal- and Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston is the name I'm thinking Charlton of. Charlton Heston. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it didn't matter which name. I was just, I, I was just trying to say, after watching the original 1969, was it? 1969 Planet of the Apes, and then mm-hmm. watching Six. this again... I was like, yeah, sixty-eight. Yeah, I was holy. I, I couldn't believe um, Michael Giacchino really did his homework 
with the musical score. He really took mm-hmm. a lot of what Jerry Goldsmith did in that original film and he he laced it into a modern sensibility and a modern take on this new world of Planet of the Apes. And I was so I was like so inspired. <laughs> and and all this all all the technical aspects of this film just really brought home the story that is so simple and um, it's simple in its execution and it's simple in understanding and following the story. But what makes it special is that all these technical parts really help these moments become deeper, you know, even from, mm-hmm. even from the, the camera work, the focus on, on the apes, the uh. expression on the apes are just, it's amazing. It's really, really amazing. And I think that's just down to great writing, great directing and good camera work. You were going to say? Yes. No, no. Remind me later about my favorite scene in this. And that basically wraps everything you've just said into uh, about 90 seconds worth of um, right. camera work here yeah. and tech. Yeah, It's just brilliant. It's brilliant. And cinematography is perfect. Um, and, uh, yeah. And amongst all the other things that I really love about this movie is um, I never thought I'd be able to build a true connection with animals in a film. Um, Mm -hmm. well, actually that's not entirely true. I mean, I I connect with a lot of the animals in Lion King, so that's not entirely true, but I guess what I'm saying is that we're, this is, this is, uh, it's not quite animal, right? It's, it's, it's larger than life, more intelligent than your average animal or your average chimpanzee or whatever, because of that's just the way the characters Mm -hmm. are written. And so they walk Mm -hmm. this fine line of it's a, it's an ape but it's a human, but it's not quite human and it's not quite ape. And having to balance themselves on that line is incredibly difficult when you think about it theoretically. And how do you really convey that message on screen without taking the imagination away so much to think that, oh, it's so easy to fall into a trap um, or not fall into a trap. It's so easy to make a mistake by trying to do this display of apes on a film and connect with these characters and that mistake could just be like as you as the audience thinking what i don't believe this to be apes it just feels like human beings or the total opposite they just feel like apes and not entirely human beings so to do that am am i making sense here like does that (laughs) am i making sense with the kind of challenge that it sort of presents itself i think the case of trying to express and tell a story of these apes that are not not human they're more ape than anything but they are human enough for for us to have for them to have intelligence and iq and some kind of eq as well that we can connect as an audience yes but i think that that's purposely done because matt because reeves had to actually bring the comparisons to humanity and primates Mm to basically show the complexity in the apes and how much more adept that they were at reasoning, especially Caesar. Caesar um, is unique in the fact that he actually was the only primate to spend time with humans, as opposed to his polar opposite being Coba, who was tortured. And Coba, look, with his scarring and the damage that was done, deep-seated damage, Coba transformed at the end to me almost into like a Frankenstein figure. Yeah, yeah. 
at the end. Very, very sad, tragic character. Yeah. Very, very tragic. And and these are archetypes that you see in humans as well. And but yes. you know, it's it's like my, the point I'm trying to make is that it's very difficult when you're presenting. You you've got a big challenge ahead of you, and that challenge is to not make them entirely human because nobody will believe them, right? You wouldn't like as an mm-hmm. as a viewer, you would just think, oh yeah, they're just human beings. Why would I? Why would I? Why why even try and do apes, right? But I think Matt Reeves and the writers in here they nailed it by still walking that really fine line of the 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 humans in the sense that you can connect with them sincerely, right, and genuinely connect mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. There's sort of that natural inclination to connect with them emotionally and and psychologically, and then but then they're not. They're not entirely um, human because they still do ape things and they still behave like apes as well. And they make that point in amongst the apes too, right? They make that point in the film that yes. they're still apes and they they stay. They're only strong when they're together, all that type of stuff. So I, I, I just I just love it, and I really fell into that world, and I and I, I could feel that world. You know, I could. Um, I could uh, like visually that world is just beautiful. I just love the whole. If you want to call it production design, it's not necessarily production, but it kind of is because they did build these sets. And um, but yes, but you know, it was there was a organic feel to the whole set, and I really felt that they were in the forest, right? Um, yes, yeah. So all of it is so good on that in that respect. Um, the the only issues I really have. Is it's got to do, and it's not. I don't think this is Matt Reeves's fault, um, but I find it too convenient that <laughs> the whole world is just gone. It's there, there, there's a story there, right? There's a story there. There's there's like at least two films, <laughs> if not a whole trilogy, that could cover how the world went into degradation through the virus spreading so rapidly. Now, one could yes. one could probably argue, nah, man, it was a virus that was so contagious that it was like 45 R not or something like that. Um, I don't know if you know anything about uh, viruses or anything. I, I learned that in some kind of science channel. Mm. But yeah, the R naught is like 45 or something, which has never happened in human history. But I'm saying that that's, that's the rapid contagion itself and how how fast it moved mm-hmm. um you could argue that but i'm like we, they i think they made a mistake with rise of the planet of the apes and i think we spoke about this in rise of the planet of the apes which is there were so many things that they missed in the story and it, it just mm-hmm. it propped up so many questions of wait where what happened to this thing and what happened to this person and why didn't it take even longer why why is she all of a sudden pregnant and <laughs> um where's that story <laughs> so there's it's like the it's it's almost like the studio said hey look we just want you guys to eventually do planet of the apes can you just hurry it up that's kind of what it feels like and with Dawn of the planet yes. of apes it has to kind of suffer that curse if you want to it's not really a curse but you know it sort of has to suffer that same pressure um and so you mm. speed that up by doing uh uh, a dialogue dump or an exposition dump right at the beginning with seemingly weird distorted um audio that's coming from across the world like different reporters and 
channels whatever saying that the virus is doing this yeah. and it's killed this many people and blah, blah 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 um that's kind of my one of my um disappointments and then my my other disappointment with this movie is similar to you the 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 purpose or the 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 reason why the humans are there and doing their human mission it was so murky i couldn't actually understand <laughs> i understand that we, we get electricity mm. from from water and what's what's the other way that we get electricity wind wind right water wind, water yeah. and wind is how we get electricity do i understand the details no i have no idea i'm not qualified in that area to to know how we actually generate electricity that way but I, but i think the explanation in the film if there is any it's so murky and the plan feels very murky <laughs> and it what? just it just seems like the writers were like okay we have to figure out a reason why they're going into the into the woods and let's just say that we'll, mm. we'll transplant something in there um, like a conduit to be able to tell that sub story for the humans to go in, and this is what the humans want. So I was kind of like, uh, uh, it's a bit shaky. I don't know. I'll, I'll just roll with it because everything else is good. Um, and then eventually, like the the main plot turns into a conflict between the apes. Well, yeah, that is the the main plot. Is, is a conflict between the apes and the humans. So, but otherwise, yeah. I was, I was <laughs> the reasons for the humans to go in the first place. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll just I'll, I'll let it slide. They they couldn't really rely on solar because there was no sunlight in any of the movie either. <laughs> it seemed to be perpetually yeah. in darkness. Perpet- yeah, but sending a darkness. group of people. That's right. All the scenes are always yeah. quite dark and very very dull. Um, very purposely very dull. So it's a lot of like sort of dark blue shades and gray shades and stuff yes and i i didn't understand why humanity had to basically go back into like a fortress type of uh, enclosure like an enclave what were they worried about were they worried they certainly were worried about the apes because I mean, even Caesar says that he that he hadn't seen a human for two years. Yeah. So it's not like there was an imminent um, fear of being uh, attacked by uh, primates, or were they worried about other human beings? Well, I, I mean that that's the thing that's um, very unclear in the film. Like when we meet the humans for the first time, it's when they interact with the apes and they have this surprise on their face as if they've, you know, presumably haven't seen apes like this in years. Um, and so you're right. like they, In the hunting party? Yeah, the hunting at party. At the beginning? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're right. Like, they don't, um, um, they don't really establish, like, what, how the humans have been feeling over the, the years or whatever, apart from being malnourished and just running out of resources. But, um yeah, they, they haven't really come across apes. So, what are they protecting themselves from? But I guess you, I guess one could say that they're protecting themselves from any other survivor that might be contagious, you know, of the flu. Uh, okay, all right, it's a possibility. That, that they have no news. They, but you're sort of left to there's an unknown. Yeah, you're sort of left to speculation at that point. It's kind of which I'm mm. fine with. Like I, I'm, I'm fine with them not having an explanation of them being barricaded. Um, and I think it'll be a fair fair um spe- uh, or a fair higher uh, theory to say that it's because they're trying to hide from people contagious but then if that's the case if that's true 
why are they not cautious when they go outside of those <laughs> you know why are they not like sort of wearing masks yeah. or anything or i don't know and maybe it's because the flu hasn't been around for a long time but we don't even know that either so um yeah it's it i would right. put that in the nitpick category i'd say sure Unless Matt Reeve was trying to make uh, the human fortress into something more like a its own jungle, maybe, maybe, maybe. But but I think this is where the mm. the movie gets into areas where I start to see some. Uh, I, I start to see areas where they could have improved on, but then it probably would have shifted the dramatically shifted the focus, and and then maybe the film becomes too messy and not too focused, which is. It's down to that sort of character understanding, you know. Um, yep. But because the 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 all the human characters are kind of useless. <laughs> I, uh, like I said, I just didn't care about them. They just seemed incredibly clumsy and yeah. down to two dimensional elements of yeah. cold, hot, hungry, tired. Yeah. Which is probably, nothing which else. Is probably, um, I mean, you could probably safely say that that could be a real life situation if we were in that like dire dystopia. Um, sure, you know that could be it. But the, but my issue is more around the fact that um, individually those characters would were not sure what they want individually. I know as a collective, they seem mm-hmm. like it seems like they want the whole thing. I mean, everyone seems like they want the same thing, which is they want power, basic needs of survival. But um, yeah, they they they're flat, not even two dimensional. I would say they're just one dimensional. And I'm kind of surprised because you have big name actors there. I mean, Gary Oldman. This is probably like the most mm. uninteresting character I've ever seen Gary Oldman do. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, look, I've seen him do very uninteresting characters before as well. Tinker Taylor. Uh, Have you seen that? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, another remake. Um, yeah. interesting choice. But I think Gary was doing a lot of um, taking parts like uh, Dr. Smith because he was funding his own productions as well. So he, he couldn't afford to be choosy. Not, yeah. Not, too choosy look he's come a long way from um i first saw him in a in a a adaptation of a book uh the movie was called prick up your ears and it was uh, i think not 87 88 i think might might have been a bit earlier but the book was called um and i'll I'll say this on radio uh, you know on a podcast um uh, prick up your ass (laughs) and it was he he had an interesting character in his youth then, and if you could ever dig it up, have a look at it because it was very good. Oh. Um, you even get to see Doctor Oct in one of his original first movies, oh. and he he did a he was brilliant in that. I've got to say, okay. a ver- really good character. So look for it. Uh, I, Prick up your ears. I think the first time I saw Gary Oldman was uh, Fifth Element. <laughs> Okay. Well, actually, I liked him in that. I, oh, I enjoyed yeah, it. I thought it was cool. Um, that was cool. Yeah. He was, that was the first time yeah, I saw um, Gary Oldman. Um, okay. Yeah, because I'm not too familiar with his work at all. Um, I mean, a little bit more now, but I became more familiar with him as a household name and amongst great actors uh, with Batman Begins or the, Bat- or the Batman trilogy from Christopher Nolan. 
Oh, yeah. Mm. As a Commissioner Gordon. Commissioner Gordon, yeah. As far as there's moments yeah. in this movie where he does, you know, he does a lot of big announcements and he just reminded me of yes. Commissioner Gordon when he's yelling in uh, the streets uh-huh. or yelling, not yelling, but, you know, he's commanding his officers. It reminded me a me lot too. of the Commissioner Gordon thing. Yes. So what, what are we saying? His acting range is not that, <laughs> well, well, limited or... I don't no, know, but go back and see Brendan element. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I enjoyed him in that. I thought, I thought he was very, very good. But yeah. in this one, I don't know. Like uh, at the end, I mean, he, he went back to the, the, the basic sort of like propensity for violence. Mm. Let's just blow the shit up and sacrifice, um, you know, ourselves and be the martyrs because, I mean, sure, he he went through a hard time, okay? He, he lost family yeah. in in all of this, but I don't know, given the instinct for survival, I, I don't know why he would have like tried to end it then and there yeah. because we, we visited these characters before. Yeah. Um, given that uh, like Malcolm, much more compassionate and even despite like suffering his own losses as well, was the polar opposite mm. like as the good guy in this. Yeah. And actually we didn't see what happened to him at the end. Or his Not girlfriend, really. or his son. No. In that, there was something that they were totally removed. Well, yeah, I, I think that was by accident. They were, they were just cut from any final scenes. I'm yeah. assuming that they've all died in this. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. There is a there is a couple of moments where, um, like, let's say with Gary Oldman's character, his name's Dreyfus. Um, he has mm-hmm. this past where he's. He's uh, presumably lost his family, right? And yeah, and but we see this when his iPad lights. Yeah, up when his iPad lights. Shows up, yeah, what I assume his son. That's right. Yeah. And and when see the thing is like, I I I, I kind of dislike Matt Reeves for doing this. Is is adding these nuggets mm. for character building that never builds. Right. When you start adding things to characters that are that their sole purpose is to really be a tool or a conduit to tell the greater story, then I'm fine with that. But the moment you start adding like backstories to characters, like Uh. you have to, you have to flesh that out or just leave it out of the film. And, and so he, he nods. I mean, he, he gives us a hint that he's lost family in the, probably in the beginning. Well, the first time we meet him, and look, if it was just that, I would have been okay with it. But then we revisit it at the end of the film with him picking up the iPad and looking through the photos, and he's getting emotional. And I'm like, well, okay. I, I wasn't the first time in this movie he did that though either. No, because no, no. Caesar goes and picks up the camcorder, right? Remember, in his old house, and the same does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That's the same thing, and and the thing is, like, I I appreciate that, and I and I like the acting in it, but uh, it's you don't need to have that in there because then now I'm just gonna say that it's just underdeveloped characters, <laughs> you know? It's fine if the characters are just as they are, and they're there to serve the greater plot, and the yeah. greater plot is about the apes, right? And the only involvement for humans is that they have this conflict that eventually manifests into war. That's all that stuff is fine. But when you start adding subplots or, or sub subplot character sub character plots, you, you know what I mean? Like there's development there, and there's sort of a window of opportunity to tell a great story from that character's 
perspective is I'm kind of like, come on, man, just you should just lift that out of the film <laughs> because because now I want more of that, and then and then any of the emotional parts that that character goes through, we go through that as well, right? Yes, but I know that's not the focus of the film. But I'm just saying that Matt Reeves should just left that out. <laughs> like, just, just, just leave it out. Just, 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 just go with everything else and just leave that out. Totally. Look, but the comparison is still there with humanity and apes. And don't forget, we we see it scrawled on walls, and also Caesar refers apes are family. Yep. Yep. And I'm thinking maybe that was another way of trying to very, very, very loosely try to draw the same comparison again, you know, yeah. family, family, quick image. Family. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the most, I, I didn't, yeah. yeah. That's one of the more I powerful messages in this movie, right, is, is family. Um, that's one of the more yep. powerful messages. And, and and we see that resonated across the humans, just just not in the same sort of layered way as, as Caesar and the apes. But, um, but yeah, I mean, those are those are kind of my points. But overall, like, I think this movie is fantastic. It's great, and I highly recommend people to watch it. If, if it goes back to the cinema, I'm gonna be the first guy there. I mean, I, I want to see this in this. I want to see this yeah. in IMAX and see it in all its glory. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, sure. I think it'll just be awesome, you know? Yeah, look, I enjoyed that Caesar was incredibly happy and content yeah. with the world that he created. Yeah, and. And the humans were just not the absolute opposite yeah, yeah, in the yeah. world they yeah. ended up with. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, um, I think it's time. I think it's time to get into the recap. Sure. Are you ready for this? Go ahead. All right. Let's dive in. So we start in, um, starting in 2016, Hunsaker, the first known carrier of the ALZ-113 virus, spreads the infection first in France, then to Europe, then all over the world. This is what we were talking about before with the fast, convenient montage, uh, or audio montage, as to say, where we see these like cool visual effects <laughs> design, or not yeah. visual effects, but, you know, get graphic design of... Uh, of red uh, lines going across the globe, like do 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 do, and you hear these different audio uh, clips. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, 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 whatever. Entire governments trace where the virus started, which is in San Francisco. As entire governments of every nation in the world is trying to find a cure, but proves difficult. The virus causes many nations to declare martial law, and massive civil unrest breaks out. And sorry, massive civil unrest breaks out followed by power outage and causing millions of deaths worldwide the virus finally causes the collapse of human civilization and economic collapse of every country in the world 10 years later caesar now leads and governs a new generation of apes in a community located in Merrillwoods park now i want to point out one uh sorry one of two of my favorite shots in the film do you know what that is? Yeah. If, if, if I've stopped at this point, do you know what that shot is? No. Go ahead. It starts the film and it ends the film. 
the first. I mean, like it technically, it's not the first shot because the first shot is that that crappy montage with the audio, with with us going across the globe, and then we jump ten years later. Uh, but that twenty eight weeks later virus. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Twenty eight weeks later type thing. Yeah. Um, but the first official shot of the film is a super extreme close up of Caesar's face, and uh, do you remember that shot? It's a very distinct shot. Yes. Everyone should remember that shot. That should be imprinted in everybody's memory when they watch this movie. <laughs> because that shot is so close up, it's beautiful. We see the majesty of brilliant visual effects by Weta Digital. We see how great it is. Great it is in its finest detail with that super close up. I, I'm so glad that Matt Reeves went with this because he opens up the movie with this shot and he closes the movie with this shot. At a very different Caesar by the end. So in the beginning, we see him like this. He's he's sort of he he looks I don't know stressed, maybe a little bit pensive. Um, he's in the woods, and you think that he's 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 getting ready for battle, which he kind of is, but it's not the same kind of battle that I was thinking. The battle is mm. they're hunting for food. Um, yes. And at the very end, I don't want to do future spoilers, but I'm kind of going to do future spoiler here with the plot. Is at the very end, it's he's a he's overcome that conflict. Well, maybe not overcome, but but he's he's overcome that um, initial conflict with human beings or humans, and he's resolved it with his connection with Malcolm, right? And then so the mm-hmm. the opening shot is more blue, like dark blue quite gray very very cold not just in temperature obviously it's cold because it's raining but it's cold in its um design and at the end it's lighter there's sun there's a new beginning that's about to happen for the apes Mm -hmm. and a new journey so that is the opening closing shots and those are two of my favorite shots yeah, I just want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. No, no, absolutely. You know, if you if you studied um, even the uh, the fur on the apes' bodies, they were actually flickering. Oh yeah, in the breeze of course. Well. Of course, I'm looking at all those details. Even the Very water, clever. the water droplets on the fur. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness! Where the digital, incredible, absolute goats in their field. It, amazing, amazing, amazing. And yet there was an, an, another movie that actually improved on that that followed so mm. yeah the differences are I- incredible so yeah fantastic lots of money in this one so yeah the group includes comrades from the ape sanctuary notably rocket and maurice as well as cobra mm-hmm. uh, the scar-faced bonobo formerly experimented on at genesis caesar leads the apes on a hunting party for deer where his adolescent son, Blue Eyes, is scarred by an attacking grizzly bear, but is saved by Caesar and Cobra. Afterwards, Caesar is summoned to his home in, in the apes' new built village, where his sick wife has given birth to his newborn son. Blue Eyes and Ash, son of Rocket, encounter a small party of armed survivors in the forest, led by a man called, named Malcolm. In a panic Carver, holding deep distrust for the apes, shoots and wounds Ash. Caesar and the other apes appear, ordering the humans to leave the woods, but sends but sends Cobra and two other apes to allow them. It is 
It is revealed a group of humans genetically immune to the virus have established a guarded safe haven inside a semi-built tower in the heart of post-apocalyptic San Francisco. Wait, I, I actually didn't even know that. Did they say that in the film where these particular humans are immune? Have they built immunity? Yes, time? they did because yeah, Gary actually uh, screams at one point when he's running the uh, the the people, saying that you are immune. Oh, oh okay, so. Yeah. Oh, and right. that's when we realize, okay, that's why they didn't just survive. There was uh, there was a reason for that's it. That's why they don't need masks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and all that kind of protective gear. But um, okay, I guess I just missed that part. Maybe it was just uh, maybe to me it was probably like a throwaway line that I didn't think was vital to understanding the situation. But it was quick. It was quick. Okay. What, what did you think about this opening scene? Like, do, what did you think about how the movie opens up with the apes and where they currently are? Um, they're learning how to hunt, or um, well, I kind of wondered where the where the the bear came from for a start and i'm assuming <laughs> it, it came from a zoo like everything else like um because really like the a, a grizzly a like in that area <laughs> yeah okay thank you thanks for that education um <laughs> uh great opening it was kind of like it, it kind of like uh, commanded like your full attention straight away um very clever I was kind of focused on uh, Caesar's son with the scarring that he had, there, which was quite extensive and looked obviously painful as well. Yeah. And I, I didn't know where that actually like came from. Um, Caesar's yeah, a hard dad. Sort of, like, those. <laughs> yeah, isn't. <laughs> I missed that. But that's when you sort of see the, the relationship that um, uh, that standoffish relationship at the start between Caesar and his son as well. Yeah, um, but fantastic that the 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 whole hunting scene might have been a little bit clumsy with like them stumbling o- along to the um, the humans, mm. um, but it kind of established like who the the nice people were and who the um, the people that you should sort of like start to be wary of because uh, who was it um, uh, Kirk Acevedo uh, was the typical Kirk Acevedo. Step- yeah, the typical stereotype of the bad person just started to emerge, the, the guy that was suspicious about everything and who turns out to be the antagonist who kind of like yeah. gives, um, uh, you know, th- we have the, the hidden gun presented and the distrust starts again, like to sure. to escalate everyone's um, sort of like emotions at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think this opening scene is great. Like it pulls you into the world. It pulls you into that world that uh matt reeves really wants us to experience and he really wants us to get knee deep into what the world feels like and and what the environment is like for the apes um and how they are building a habitat out of all of this i don't know if they would call it a habitat if they're intelligent apes i guess they just call it home (laughs) he says we're going home or whatever um, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved everything. When, when I think about the bear sequence where the bear sort of attacks, it does seem like one of those odd situations of like, okay, why did you decide to put a attacking bear in this situation? I know, yeah. I know the purpose of it is probably to display the lesson that his son needs to learn. Um, and I guess maybe it makes sense you're in the middle of the woods and sure, there's bears. But it, but on its own, it seems like a weird thing, right? 
And um, it was like to try to teach him to be streetwise. Yeah, I wasn't sure I, about. I figured like, it was the best way of doing it. That's right. I th I think there are other ways that you could probably teach your son to be streetwise as opposed to riding in a scene where it's a bear that's attacking them. It just seems quite um, out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> But when did San Francisco have grizzlies? I don't, I don't think they do. Bloody <laughs> idea. No. So, I, okay, okay. I mean, I've been in the Mirror Woods. I never, ever saw bears. <laughs> no. Oh, thank God it wasn't a shark or something like that. Like, it just seemed odd. But anyway. <laughs> well, we got a sense of scale with this because it was a big bloody bear and the and the, the, the primates are actually quite quite big as well. Yeah, so. that's true. That's yeah. true. There's there's probably a good demonstration mm. of scale, which is which is quite nice. But on the topic of scale, I'm going to mention one of the issues I had with the film. Is mm. the, the film itself ultimately feels quite large, and I think that's because of the technical prowess of this movie, and I think it's like the, the direction and... Um, and the storytelling and cinematography, all that kind of stuff that I mentioned earlier, it feels like a big epic film. But it, but in yes. terms of location, it feels very small. You know, it feels very concentrated. And I guess it's intentional because you're in San Francisco. But um, if I was to rewrite this film, I would, I would, I mean, I would. First of all, <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do this. But my idea is that you would display how severe this overtake it's not it's not an entire overtake of the apes just yet but you would feel mm. I, I, I would want the audience to feel how how severe the stakes are in terms of the global impact right and so because yep. we're concentrated in one area it doesn't feel like a global problem even though they said that it's a global problem but there's a difference between telling us verbally versus just and, and showing us through good yeah. storytelling subplots or something do some do some like time like uh do some time skips not time skips but jump back in time you know do some flashback sequences or something there's a good way of, of showing that um and so i'm interested to to learn more about what the directors and the writers had in mind for if I was to ask them, how would you answer that this mm. this issue that I have with this film, where the film doesn't it looks and feels big, but then it doesn't feel big at the same time because we're concentrated to one area, and it, and in that respect, doesn't feel like the the globe has been affected. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you. It's almost like we were living in we were relating to villages. Yeah, and, right. Yeah, yeah. Like we we were we're concerned about one particular village in the world and not necessarily the world itself yep. so it doesn't feel like the world has gone through apocalyptic ruin because it just feels like a problem in like one village <laughs> yeah with with such few people i mean surely fuel has not run out like all sorts of fuel yeah and i right. know that okay we we are pre like significant tech when it comes to like battery technology and all of that and that that was very very handy in that respect um for the story and the desperation for the humans mm. um but i can't believe that we, we could have failed like no one's ventured out yeah not even by boat down the river that's like, right yeah yeah and especially if they're you know, seemingly immune to the virus so it's like well. you, you could have navigated down towards san diego or something or right and even new mexico or 
Yeah, I don't know. It could have gone north to Seattle. I'm not too <laughs> sure why. Trying That's to think of all sorts up. of navigational opportunities for these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all in all, they're pretty bloody dumb anyway. So, <laughs> all kind of neurotic almost. Like, what, 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 what's the worst that can happen? Everybody else is dead. <laughs> God, get on a bloody skateboard. Yeah. I don't know, light aircraft. Yeah, exactly. Do something. Um, all right. So all right. So, like, we can agree on that. Yeah, we can agree. Lots more that. needs to be discussed here. Yeah. Um, the ape council then debates over to wage war against humans since they attacked one of their own however caesar is against this stating the apes have created so much and can't afford to lose themselves in war and he's right about this that's yep. why caesar is the most intelligent yes. he's the he's he's the forward thinker he's a visionary he's the leader he is soon told by coba that that he will do anything Caesar ordered due to him liberating him from human torture, but states that mm -hmm. apes most show strength, to which Caesar agrees. The next day, Caesar preemptively leads the ape army to face uh, to a face-to-face -face confrontation with the humans at the tower, where he speaks to the surprise of the people there. Caesar shouts, Apes! Do not want war! But we'll fight if we must. Was that a good and was that was that a good uh, impersonation? That was great. Caesar? Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. It's pretty nice. I get it. <laughs> um, we should probably also point out that there is an important point, um, a important exchange between the first time the apes um, meet the what are they called? The hunters were the hunters, but the. Um, yeah, well, the, the the first lot of humans before Ash mm -hmm. gets shot, um, and then they have that first confrontation or interaction with humans, and then Caesar says "go," and then all of them also say "go, go." Yes. There's something about that that's quite haunting, don't you think? Yes, um, it was just one word. It was just one and word. Yeah, and I think it was designed and directed perfectly to. To demonstrate that it's freaky to hear a animal um, talk human. Yep. Right. Yes. And I think that I think he done it really, really well with that. And then um, when we get to the scene where the apes all come as a big pack, um, I'm assuming it's every single ape from that village. <clears throat> they have this moment and face off with the humans. And it's funny. Like I'm going to bring it up again because you brought it up just before. We brought it up twice now. The humans are pretty dumb, like, <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe we can't be too harsh with them in this particular scene. Um, so, because they probably thinking to themselves, well, we can't negotiate with with apes, and they're probably so puzzled that like, how are we supposed to uh, negotiate with these apes at all? How are we supposed to have any conversation around? who occupies what territory and who can do what so they're probably puzzled I'll, I'll give them that but it just sort of reminds me now the fact that you said that yeah the humans are pretty dumb they're pretty dumb in this situation too they kind of just stand there they don't really do much <laughs> no they don't they don't um i mean okay look all the extras were very very faceless in this you didn't you, you we we didn't look at any anybody else we weren't even interested in yeah. in 
what other human characters had to offer. Yeah. But I'm just kind of curious. I mean, we, we were dealing with the world as two sets of villagers. And if Koba had known how many more humans were actually out there, would he have actually taken the same decisions that he would have made? Um, um, I think Caesar I think knowing he... how big the world is. Well, or is, again, is it convenient storytelling? We had to like scale it right down with his two two warring uh, families. Are you are you are you suggesting that um, Koba could have changed if he'd explored more anything like beyond that? Yeah, I mean, were these are these the only intelligent primates in the world? Yeah, just based here in San Fran. Uh, uh maybe. Are they? Probably. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, I, no. I think, I think these are the only apes that got the ALZ one one three, right? Or did everybody? Yeah. Yeah, I think these are the only no, apes that got the ALZ one one three, and they sort of bred from there. So the story kind of becomes down to it's a, a war against like it's a it's a blood sort of like um war against you know uh, we're two two species with a, a couple of chromosomes sort of like variation yeah um, pretty much in in one small area and it's funny how we kind of forgot that and you know the rest of the world okay is largely sort of like dead but they're not dealing with the same issue with the primates so. no no I mean, we'll probably look at that in the third movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably, probably a little a bit more. more. And, and it's probably going to expand a lot more in the fourth one that comes out in April. Mm. Um, that fourth one is called Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, I think. Um, yes. Yeah. So, anyway, so Caesar then orders the humans to stay in their own territory while the apes stay in their own. Seems pretty fair, right? He personally orders yep. Malcolm the safe havens co-founder to never enter ape territory again and after re-entering malcolm's son's hatchel a satchel the apes leave malcolm convinces the human camp's leader dreyfus played by that's our, um uh gordon <laughs> i missed up what's his name again gary oldman i was gonna say gordon ramsay for some strange reason <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner uh, Gordon, yeah. leader. Right. Oh, I think he'd be a good leader in this camp, wouldn't he, Gordon Ramsay? Uh, yes. Dreyfus <laughs> <laughs> to give him three days to reconcile with the apes to gain access to a hydroelectric dam in their territory, which could provide long-term power to the city. Dreyfus reluctantly agrees, but is distrustful of the apes and, and arms survivors using an abandoned armory in preparation for war if, welcome, if Malcolm mm -hmm. doesn't return. Malcolm and his group then head to ape territory. He tells them he's going in alone and says if he's not back in an hour, they must leave. Um, I, I, I want to point out a couple of things that I really liked here. Like just before this scene, actually. Oh, no, no. It's, it's probably like during this scene. Um, just that really simple I, uh, idea. It's probably coming from Matt Reeves. I'm assuming it's coming from Matt Reeves. Mm -hmm. but it's that simple idea where caesar picks up the satchel that he knows belongs mm -hmm. to the kid and he mm -hmm. gives that back as a peace offering right brilliant brilliant simple small idea but brilliant idea because mm -hmm. it conveys 
and expands upon Caesar's intelligence, right? Yes. And his emotional intelligence as well. It, it, it does so much for Caesar's character, the fact that he picks up that satchel and he knows what this means, but the apes don't necessarily understand what that means. No, true. But he also remarks later about the humans in the deliberation about granting them access to the hydro um, station that they seem so desperate. And yeah. that's, that, that, that's a, a huge consideration for um for a, a, any other species to actually understand what desperation actually is yeah when uh, animal kingdom is just about acting on something and very much impulsive mm-hmm. but this is it's that's an incredibly deep human emotion yeah that, that empath- it requires empathy yeah um not just sympathy yeah. or hesitation but the empathy and goes to a, a totally much deeper level yeah and- <coughs> And I like um, Gary Oldman's response. Oh, sorry, not Gary. I like Malcolm's response to this, which is, which it's it's also a way of us learning about Malcolm's um, empathy and sympathy at the same time as a character. When yes, Gary Oldman says to him when he's trying to tell him that I'm going to go off for three days. Gary Oldman says to him, he's like, "These are apes," and then he responds by by saying, and he points, and the camera. Uh, sort of looks over to where he's pointing he's pointing at the bag he's like does that look like real uh, does that look like typical apes to you and that's perfect it's yeah. a perfect way of really understanding and expanding on yep. uh, Caesar which is which is awesome um, Malcolm yep. and actually acknowledging that they're no longer yeah acknowledge exactly just an animal yep. yeah they're no longer just an animal but but it's he's really talking about it's just Caesar too right because he knows Caesar's the guy that's wearing the pants here. <laughs> he's he's yeah. wearing the pants and he's commanding everybody's attention and respect. Yes, we're back to that Moses sort of like character that we we um, discussed in the other movies. Oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah, 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 uh, in yeah. the previous one, yeah. That's right. Um, Malcolm then heads into the ape village where he is spotted by a gorilla named Luca who alerts the other gorillas and captures Malcolm. How daunting would that be, right? Like, just being surrounded by gorillas. And he had balls going in there. I felt fear for him in that, because he could have been ripped apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera work was so good in this, and you really felt that intense fear. You know, that that particular shot where he's lying down because they're holding him from arm and, and sorry, from arm and leg and it goes into his pov yes. and he's looking above him and the camera looks above and yes. you see all these apes and like flying through it looks so creepy i was like wow that's a great shot yeah <laughs> it was like it was almost sadistic I and mean, we've seen um images of that in in forts uh, in like the last of the mohicans very oh, claustrophobic yeah. and that, that imminent sort of like feeling of he's going to get torn to, to pieces in a really sadistic yeah, way. You, yeah, exactly. And that's what I was yeah. fearing at that moment. Yeah, yeah. I was feeling the same thing. It was such a great scene. And then it, it, it's great that it, it doesn't turn out that way. But <laughs> but, it, but yeah. it does give you that same feeling. That, man, Last of yeah. Mohicans, what a great movie. You've reminded me Wasn't of that, it? actually. Mm. I haven't thought about that movie in a very, very long time. I think it's one of Daniel Day-Lewis's best movies, actually. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't seen Daniel Day Lewis for a long time, but yeah. And the first time that I saw Dan- Daniel Day Lewis was in a movie. Uh, 
called My Beautiful Laundrette. And that was, again, around about the 80s. There were some good movies, like, in the mid-80s. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Go and check that out. Very good. I should, I'll should. i put it on my watch list of a thousand yeah. movies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the apes bring the human to Caesar where he gives reason for disobeying the rule Caesar gave. Cobra encourages him to kill Malcolm on the spot, but Malcolm begs him not to and says if he is if he is a threat to them they have no permission they have, they have permission to kill him where he stands seeing possible peace between the the races caesar allows malcolm to work on the dam's generator provided that humans give up their guns and work unarmed time and time again caesar is unable to successfully teach blue eyes about the humans capacity for good when he witnessed while growing up as malcolm as uh, as Malcolm, his wife Ellie, and son Alexander work, they bond with the apes. Trust temporarily comes to a standstill as Carver threatens both of Caesar's sons with a concealed weapon, but later Ellie helps treat Caesar's sick wife with antibiotics. So we've kind of covered quite a bit here. Um, there's not a lot that I want to really go into here, but I want to point out Malcolm's brilliant performance i i think malcolm's actually one of my favorite characters in the film He's by far the best human in the film in my opinion but um when he when he comes when he when he sort of uh, is put down you know in front of all the apes after the gorillas carry him him in his expression of fear looking at all the apes was phenomenal I was like, wow, I, he really looks petrified. I mean, he looked like he was going to die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That fear that he, that he portrayed on his face was just next to nothing. Like, uh, I was like, hats off to this guy's performance in that, in that particular scene. And then that performance just only becomes better as the film goes on. And, and I start to really feel for Malcolm's character. So, yeah, I wanted to point that out. Yeah, and look, there was, that, that was the turning point in that moment and that fear that uh, he was feeling was pretty much the same time that uh, Cobra... I mean, Cobra always had like a deep-seated distrust of humans, but it's brought to the surface at that point. Yeah. And I think this is where Cobra... And I think he's resentful of the fact that Caesar had spent so much time with humans and I think he, he perceives Caesar... And as his empathy is a weakness at that point. Yeah. Um, so we're dealing with uh, Martin's um, fears uh, at that point, and for a good reason, because that's when the the, the turning of the story, you know, happens, and the, and the turning for Cobra at that moment. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when Cobra basically cha chains himself to that the only technology that seems to have. Um, existed for that 10-year period and that's a firearm that's a gun that's right yeah i i and that gun that's when cobra is ultimately corrupted yeah 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 exactly i like i like how um they make the decision to go back and forth with the trust and the distrust i like i like that decision because yes. it creates more dynamic for in, in the storytelling aspect it just becomes relevant hurdles um for yes. what these characters are trying to achieve 
and and it's not unconditional either yeah i like that yeah exactly it's not additional it's all right. it's all got to do with like the main plot driver and it's uh-huh. it's it's yes. really interesting like when when they made the decision to whoever it was it might have been matt reeves like, or no actually it's probably the writers because the writers <laughs> wrote this movie um <laughs> a decision to uh have that betrayal of trust at the water right and then in order for them to gain mm-hmm. that trust back was to tie it back to the sick wife right yes what a great way to tie it back and and i that's why they planted her being sick at the very beginning of the film when she has yes. when she has the baby the reason for that was then we could come back and use it as as a tool of negotiation for um the main human character so it was brilliant it was great and and it and it builds it builds a sense of emotion for the characters too and it builds a connection with the human characters to the apes that they never would have anticipated otherwise no and it's done very successfully a second time when they actually help caesar with his wound as well yeah that's right yeah Yeah, exactly yeah yeah. that's a great very nicely and they introduce the element of his family as well. So now it's kind of like an affirmation, like an extended a- affirmation. That's right. Um, that humans can, are no, not just singularly, yeah. violent. Exactly. And, and and it's sort of, yeah, affirmation is the perfect word for it. And it also reaffirms um, and reminds him of how good humans can be and he utters these words uh, i can't remember where in the movie but he he does utter these words as well he said humans he says humans can be good as well humans can be bad something along those lines i remember him saying it somewhere in the film um but he's really talking about his his first interaction and experience with his foster father right um so yeah it's it's great how they touch on these moments important elements for character building and also connection between the characters it's great love it um so moving on to this part here cobra secretly discovers the armory and confronts caesar's allegiance mocking him over his love for humans caesar heavily beats cobra for his adult for insolence but forgives him citing his law that ape not kill ape ape not kill ape he says it so slow too right i think he's Saying it so slow, yes. so then he's oh, it's dramatic tension. I go, I guess, but um, we we haven't even given credit yet to freaking Andy Circus. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, just give him the and uh, look, look, you know what? The, Oscar. Uh, the third movie should have just he wiped the floor with it all. I mean, you know oh, what? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking he's so good. Maybe. A new category of award has to be sort of like designed for this purpose. Mocap with CGI. Mo-cap, yeah, I mean it's, it's all motion cap. Yeah, and all those a, apes a that category. we see, all the apes that we see, except for the background apes, it's all the ones that we get introduced to with names. They're all mocap performance. But it's inspiring. It's like mime, but not. Yeah, you're, you're using a different mask. It's using a, different mask. Like it's a whole different category. Yeah. So therefore. We need a new category of award. Yeah, he's brilliant. For an actor he's brilliant. Uh, that works at TGI. Like, I can't say anything more about Andy Serkis' performance. It's just everything, facial expression yeah. to physicality um, to delivery. Oh, it's just, oh, it's, 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 it gives me tingles. 
<laughs> how good his he voice, is. His voice, yeah, his voice coach must yeah. have been bloody busy as well. well I so. think I don't think he gets voice coaches like because I think he's an that's really? his his area, you know. Oh, impressive. Yeah, that's his area yeah. of expertise. I mean, maybe he has a coach. I guess like just like how even though Michael J- Michael Jordan's the goat of basketball, he has a coach, right? But um, sure. but I, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, that Andy Circus is is famous for what he does because that's his wheelhouse like voice acting and stuff you know he did he did the golem voice obviously like or autumn's up he did the voice for what's not really a voice and more grunts and roars he did the the same thing for king kong in 2005 ah i know i didn't know that i didn't know that yeah that's impressive wow yeah um anyway uh, I lost where I was. Uh, Cobra, uh, Cobra steals an assault rifle from the armory after murdering two human guards. Later that night, power is eventually restored to the city. The humans rejoice and Malcolm's team celebrates with the apes. Meanwhile, Cobra ambushes Carver and beats him to death, stealing his hat and lighter. He then has two henchmen, oh, sorry, hench apes, Grey and Stone, set the apes' home on fire. In hiding, Cobra shoots Caesar in the shoulder as the two lock eyes, causing him to fall off of a cliff. The ape village then goes up in flames, and the colony grows frenetic with the loss of their ape king and home and homes as Blue Eyes locates the gun showing it to the colony. Maurice helps Malcolm and his family escape into hiding. Cobra then appears and while brainwashing Blue Eyes and other apes, blames Malcolm's team for Caesar's, Caesar's death and, and burning of the colony home. Assuming leadership, he declares war on the humans as a retribution, having the young and females in, into hiding. He leads the male apes to battle in San Francisco. So um, this, this part of the story was... Uh, I thought it was, <laughs> it was kind of clever and um, really cool that that uh, villain, that villainous nature of Koba is instigated just by him doing these super dodgy and um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, dodgy and oh, there was, there was a word I was trying to think of um, manipulative. Uh, tasks mm-hmm. you know he, his his ability to manipulate everything and, and manipulate the truth um and just do all this crazy shit is is very very uh communist <laughs> it's like <laughs> uh it's it's pretty interesting how they how they did that um and then showing him like it's not it's not really a flip of a dime because you see the eventual um ascent into madness and and you know psych psychosis you see that it's it's sort of, it's not it's not abrupt it's like you see that slowly trickled in and what i also find interesting is that the humans in this movie are a complete mirror of the apes right caesar is kind of malcolm yep. malcolm is caesar cobra is um what's his name um chase chev chev uh, I, I said his name before who got beaten up <laughs> uh carver carver you know cobra is like the carver version but except like the, in the apes 
version they're probably more extreme and more expressive in that archetype compared to the humans sure carver was just as equally as stupid yeah um but it's kind of it's interesting the the movie didn't sort of it avoids making judgments on these simplistic characters because really what Kobe was doing was very kind of like very that revenge sort of like element was very simplistic yeah but but pretty relatable i guess yeah yeah um yeah kind of like it like okay we analyzed why you know people and apes you know choose the choose the same path of like corruption but it, it showed in both communities there was this ethical corrosion that was yeah. like yeah. seeping in. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and you can't get that out of communities once it's been introduced. Yeah, yeah. And it was always going to end up that way, that like that ending was always going to be bad for both Yeah. until these characters were, were like, yep. well, deleted. Yeah, and, and if, if there's any good to come out of those two characters, Carver and Cobra, what I would say is that they both had quote-unquote good intentions. I think they both wanted the same thing. They wanted the best, Carver wanted the best, safest outcome for humans. And I think it's a synonymous goal in amongst all the humans. But Carver was just the kind of guy that was willing to do anything by means possible. And I think Cobra was the same too. I think Cobra really loves the apes. Um, and he loves the community and the tribe of the apes. But... Um, what ultimately took over him was his his obsession to have control. And, and I think he always wanted to have control from yeah. the very beginning because he never had control from when he was born all the way up until when he became Cobra, right? You know, he's always been under the control yes. of um, humans in, in, in a very torturous way. And so I, I can understand this. I think there's a sense of empathy that we can give these characters, but you know, you you don't you don't extend that empathy once they become uh, Nazis, because <laughs> um, that's essentially <laughs> no, what they become. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think either of them were an evil character, like evil being like a nature. Yeah, they were um, evil. Nature, they were yeah. just yeah. I mean. Cobra looked kind of like evil, but again, you know, he became Frankenstein's monster after, you know, having all those experiments and those the very brutalistic uh, aspects that were, were done to him. I mean, it's it's a it's a horrifying sort of thing to think about. That's right. Yeah. Um, but the evil was the way that he <clears throat> projected that with his facial expression. Yeah. We don't recognize how animals like show themselves, and it's you know, we we kind of confuse it, but essentially they were the same. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, All right, so moving forward. The ape army then charged through the woods, overwhelmed the human armory, and charged the tower's gates heavily armed. A fierce battle erupts between the two colonies, and the already damaged city suffers more damage. Despite the heavy casualties on both sides, Cobra and the apes overrun the gates using a hijacked tank, allowing the apes to enter the city and place it up. And place it in utter chaos. In the process, humans are killed or captured by Dreyfus. Um, uh, sorry, or captured as Dreyfus flees underground. The next morning, the apes pursue a group of fleeing humans into a building, hunting down as many defenseless humans as they can. When Ash refuses to follow Cobra's orders to kill an unarmed man, citing Caesar's teachings, 
Cobra kills Ash right before Blue Eyes and the other apes. Mm. The power mad, the power mad bonobo states, "Caesar gone, apes follow Cobra now." <clears throat> With that, he has all the apes in prison. Um, in, sorry, imprison all the humans in the containment units, describing desiring for them to know life in cage. On a bus adjacent to the human cages, Blue Eyes finds Maurice, Rocket, Luca, and several others jailed due to Cobra feeling that they are still loyal to Caesar. Maurice tells Blue Eyes to protect himself as Cobra orders the apes to find and capture any remaining free humans still in the city. So all this kind of chaos and havoc and and, mm-hmm. and just straight up better. Like it's it's super raw battling and and i think i appreciate the creativity here because i mean uh, how, how do you even write these scenes where apes are just coming in <laughs> and attacking humans how do you even write and direct that i know look it kind of it almost looked like the scene from aliens where they're being stalked and hunted by massive uh like alien reptilians <laughs> yeah, right. um apart from like they were primates with never-ending machine gun rounds yeah. that never seemed to need to be reloaded yeah <laughs> that was clever because <laughs> we didn't talk about those but, but what are you what are you talking okay. about logic here come on come on Rick. it's a movie the, the, the spark the sparking of the the, the machine gun fire was uh, you know it it, it, it was almost. It looked like a, a like a negative sort of like a uh, film still. Oh yeah, the, the flashing, very very clever. But this comes into if I can bring it in now. My favorite scene in the movie. Oh, tell me. With all the tech and everything, the tank. But the tank. <gasps> Are you talking the about CGI the camera? Primate. Yes, yeah, on the, the, the look from the camera. Yes, oh, my yes. Goodness, I'm so glad you said that. That was so cl- so clever. Like the yeah. the technical aspect involved in producing this, and what was it? Maybe about twenty seconds worth. Um, but that was I fantastic. Think it, I think it felt longer than it actually is. But but that's the, that's it? the brilliant it, thing about that. It feels like a a nice long scene, but I think it's actually relatively short. Yep. My favorite part of the the tech in the movie. Wow. And that was it. That was brilliant. okay. I think I, I think so I changed good. my mind. I think that's my favorite part. All right. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> it's so good. I remember watching that again yeah. the other night when I watched rewatched the film. I, think- I like I saw that scene. I was like, "Whoa! How did I not remember this particular camera shot?" Because it because it, the it complexity depicts, of that. Yeah, it depicts all wow. the danger and all the chaos in such yep. a brilliant way with that point of view. Oh man, I was yeah. like, man, whoever thought of this genius idea? It, maybe it had to be the cinematographer. Oh, maybe not. I'm gonna say it's a Matt Reeves thing um, for him to uh, have that yep. POV. That's just, it was such a clever use of camera work, and it's efficient in the way he uses it too. Um, seeing all the destruction and stuff happen in the background, even though the destruction uh-huh. is not necessarily coming from the tank alone, it's just destruction in the background and what was happening within the tank as well yeah, yeah that's like, right yeah yeah yeah, yeah basically going yeah in going in and then getting the mayhem inside like it was just it's brilliant yeah i don't know it was a real shoot 'em up sort of like moment in, in yeah in war it was one, yeah. of, one of the best war battle scenes that i think i've i've seen uh for a long time so yeah, yeah. i'm glad you brought that scene up i i think i would have forgotten about it <laughs> <laughs> that's so good I'm, I'm so glad you did that 
Okay, so Malcolm, Ellie, and Alexander, who who hid from the rampaging apes, find Caesar barely alive, and Caesar informs them that it was Cobra, not Carver, who shot him. The humans gather Caesar up to transport him to San Francisco, which is now under the apes' control. Caesar then guides the humans to his former home, where Malcolm's family discover Caesar's upbringing with humans. Ali notes on Caesar's failing condition that he needs treatment, but her medical supplies are in the city, to which Malcolm volunteers to retrieve. Um... I, I like how we sort of brought it back to Rise of the Planet of the Apes with that nice photo of uh, James Franco and a young Caesar. It was, it was yes. a nice moment. It was a very, very nice moment. And then the camcorder um, in the uh, the attic upstairs yeah. moment. Yeah, Really, really cool moments. And I think these moments are important mm-hmm. for Caesar's development. Um, and just, yeah, bringing out all these great sides to the character that are just you only really get those opportunities in these types of memory moments um and what yes it was a, it was a very important earthing moment with this as well yeah. you know after being basically saved um you know and don't forget caesar was kind of like lost at the bottom of this uh ravine in, in the in his village mm-hmm. i don't know why the others couldn't sort of like find him because he seemed pretty obvious like yeah it wasn't yeah, I know. it's not like he was he fell into like a a closed uh i don't know like forest bed or something you know it's like he was yeah. pretty obvious where he was like in a can- canyon or yeah but but i guess it it I, I don't mind that too much because i think everyone just gave up and you know it was there was so much panic uh during that time um so it was kind of important for the fires and all that type of stuff to happen if the fires didn't happen yep. then i think i would be more annoyed with that decision to just have caesar out in the open and nobody's seen him but because it was panic and mm. fire and everybody was like ah oh, caesar's dead and there's fire everywhere let's get out of here that makes sense to me i, I it just it wouldn't have worked okay. if there wasn't fire <laughs> yeah true okay um malcolm then travels through the city while avoiding the patrolling apes um is able to obtain the medical supplies and crosses paths with blue eyes who he persuades to spare him and malcolm tells tells the prince his father is still alive malcolm returns to the rodman house with ali's supplies and brings blue eyes back with him to caesar ali proceeds to operate on caesar as he and blue eyes embrace updating and forgiving each other these are great great moments as well between caesar and Mm -hmm. and his son and i think what more what becomes more apparent to me why i enjoy these scenes is because there's very little dialogue like very little dialogue yes you know and it's all expression it's all physical acting and great camera work and these these scenes are like better than most movies between characters that have heaps of dialogue (laughs) it's it's true you're right you're right that's so engaging i'm i'm wrapped in these scenes I, i'm i'm like you know eyeballs to the screen i'm like wow i really i really enjoy these connections <laughs> they're just so well written so what like it's a very ingenious way of doing it because there's just very little dialogue at all it's just like four words in a sentence but yet it's amazing yeah you're right <laughs> very much so 
And these are one of the last scenes we actually see the rest of his family there as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because they, they, there's no continuity there with them after this. Yep, exactly. Caesar then rests at his son's... Uh, at, sorry. Caesar then rests as his son finds a picture of Caesar and Will Rodman together before his father awakens. Caesar then laments on his misguided views of thinking apes were better than humans, having now seen what they're capable of and realizing the two races are not so different after all. Blue eyes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some religious people may disagree. <laughs> Blue eyes aids his father by freeing the humans and the apes loyal to Caesar, while arresting Caesar becomes nostalgic, examining mementos, mementos from his childhood. The freed apes join Caesar and Malcolm, and Malcolm guides them through the city subway, but they are forced to separate when Malcolm reunites with Dreyfus and his remaining men. Malcolm is then told by Dreyfus that he and his men are planning to ignite a series of C4 explosives underneath the tower. Malcolm, however, holds mm-hmm. Dreyfus and the others at gunpoint, wanting to buy Caesar time to end the chaos. As this happens, Caesar and his followers confront Cobra at the summit of the tower. After a brief exchange of words, a battle for power begins between the two apes and soon goes across the tower with the other apes watching intently. So before this, um, when Caesar has that moment or one of the last moments with his son on the couch, he mentions to Mm -hmm. his son that he needs to be strong because apes only follow strong um and i guess that's coming back to that main message um does it come back to that main message (laughs) maybe it doesn't um i was thinking apes together strong but that's got nothing to do with (laughs) what i just said before so scrap that because it's just him individually not together um but his point was that the apes will only follow the strongest um so there i think that's an interesting animalistic trait maybe or a skill that you need to have if you want to be the leader of the apes you have to be strong uh yes and that, that's a little bit of um animal farm coming back in this ah yeah yeah i haven't actually fully read that mo- that book oh look, i should probably animal read, farm uh, and uh, i don't know if i should read it 1984 yeah my two favorite books oh yeah yeah, totally. Yeah, I was... um, it, it, very nice scenes, um, and the the scenes where the apes were actually freeing humans as well. Yeah, that to me was a turning point. Yeah, like that's a turning point for that ape and human connection. I think it was, it, it, yeah, it was a good turning point for that relationship to develop more between the two, the two yes. races. I thought it was quite nice, um, and not dwelling too much on it to sort of make melodramatic scenes, which is good too. Um, uh, back underground, Dreyfus informs Malcolm that his men already have uh, already made radio contact with other band of survivors on their way to fight the apes in San Francisco. Dreyfus then steals a mm-hmm. C4 trigger, stating, "I'm saving the human race." Becomes a martyr, I guess, before pressing the button igniting the explosives. The explosion simultaneously kills Dreyfus and his men while Malcolm narrowly manages to hide for cover. 
The explosion destroys a majority of the underground area as well, collapsing part of the tower, injuring and, and killing several apes. As Caesar, Blue Eyes and the other apes assist the injured, um, assist the injured Cobra picks up a gun and opens fire on the apes, wounding Maurice. Mm. Enraged, Caesar jumps at Cobra and tackles him, sending them both tumbling. Caesar falls to safety while Cobra left dangling on the ledge, clinging for dear life. Cobra begs Caesar to save him, citing the ape not kill ape lore. Caesar grabs Cobra's yes. hand. <laughs> this is actually a cool moment. Caesar grabs Cobra's hand, but looking upon the chaos Cobra has caused, he firmly declares Cobra is not an ape before letting go yes. of his hand, sending the treacherous, screaming Bonobo falling to his death in the pits. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a cool, it's a cool moment, I guess, for for Caesar um, and letting go of that relationship and letting go of perhaps his mm. naivety towards, you know, Cobra. His own, his own people. His own people, yeah. He was naive yeah. enough to think that he could just, you know, be, he could just be and the apes could just be, but it's not true. And so it's a, it's a great arc for Caesar. And this moment is probably also devastating for him that he's killing one of his own. Which, if, if, if there was one thing that I would have liked to add in here, is I would have liked to see Caesar um, mourn his decision of killing an ape because you know because he loves the apes and he doesn't want to do anything to harm them or anything and i think it would have been nice to just add a little bit of a moment where he does mourn his decision and eventually just mourns killing cobra sure but that would introduce like the emotion of regret and i don't think leaders have that luxury yeah in the in that moment yeah, out true. of desperation so and that, that is a weakness. And Koba was already critical of um, Caesar's weakness uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Because of his associ association with humans. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I take back what I say then. But I, I can <laughs> no, I, I can see why you would you would say that. No, you know, really, I think, um, yeah, because he was still still family. He, he was his best friend and brother. Yeah. Yeah, he he made that comment um, in regards yeah, to Cobra. Yeah, yeah, but but it's true what you're saying, and 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 yeah, Cobra does say that as well. It's like if you you can't be weak in front of your people, otherwise your people will not follow you. Um, so you're totally right in that respect. Like you, they, they shouldn't have, um, like it wouldn't have been right to have him have a moment publicly in front of the apes, like showing a moment of weakness, even though it's not necessarily a moment yeah. of weakness. But yeah, for a person of power and leadership, yeah. That was kind of the right decision there. Um, one thing I'll say is <laughs> pull me out of the movie a little bit, just a little bit, but not enough to me for me right. to be anno completely annoyed about the scene and, and sort of uh, scrap the whole scene and, and sort of think that it wasn't worth it. But when Cobra is hanging, now look, I'm I'm not an expert in apes, but correct me if I'm wrong. They can swing, right? They can swing and hang on to things and jump and very athletic. <laughs> I'm sure we... And not just with 
their hands. They could also use they feet. They could use, use feet as well. And I'm pretty yeah. sure there was plenty of scenes in the uh, beginning of the film where they're, where they're running through the forest with their hands and legs. Do you get where I'm going with this? Yeah. <laughs> he must have been very beaten up. Yeah, I know. Like, all right. Uh... Sure. I'm sort of thinking, like, okay, he's hanging. I'm like, but come on, man, he's an ape. He can just jump to the uh, other beam or something, or use his yep. foot to like get back up. But he's, it's it's like he's being written as a human being in this very moment, and it almost feels like the writers just forgot that Cobra was an ape and was kind of like, we're gonna have this guy kind of like a uh, Terminator sequence where John Connor is about to lose Terminator. You know what I mean? And it's sort of... Completely. It pulls me out a little bit. I'm like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Apes can... can <laughs> there should have should have been like an electrical conduit or a cable fall down somewhere for him to swing, grab and swing across. Yeah, know? yeah. Or, or just right... Tarzan-like, yeah. Yeah. But it didn't happen. But I it know. didn't happen. But that the, was very weak. Yeah, the thing is... Like, they, they but I think... put Cobra in a different situation where it's believable that he he wouldn't be able to help himself but if he's just hanging from sure. something i'm like yeah the ape can literally just swing onto something else why is this such a threatening moment for him <laughs> yeah no but at that moment i actually thought that cobra could have actually yanked caesar down and killed him like in a moment of treachery because it it, it could have been a possibility so uh, I'm kind of thinking, okay, like I, di I didn't know what, what was going to come next in that. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I'm glad that Cobra was just absolutely d diminished yep. as like a, a an entity. Yep. And he, he lost all strength and character at that moment. Yep. Um, and he, look, he may have done that willingly as well yeah. because of that d defeat in front of the other apes. True. So. But maybe it's just like a sincere moment of weakness for him and he's just like, look, I'm just gonna ask Caesar for help. And if he doesn't then I guess I just die. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I just thought that was a moment. I was like, no, 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 no. We've just seen a, a, a whole two hours of apes just running around <laughs> and hanging from branch to branch. How is this such a hard task for him? Yes. Anyway. That was my little nitpick. Um, okay, so we're coming up to the last part of this plot here. The remaining apes then cheer on Caesar while the latter expresses remorse for his former friend. The apes then reunite with the females and young, but Caesar notices Grey and other apes holding Malcolm at gunpoint. He orders them to leave him and Malcolm, informs Caesar of the impending arrival of human reinforcements. He employs Caesar to leave the city or else they would be all in, in an all-out war. However, Caesar refuses, stating, war has already begun. Ape started war. Yes. And human, human will not forgive. Caesar instead tells Malcolm to take his family and leave for city before fighting begins while apologizing to his new friend. The two mourn their loss um, mourn their lost chance for peace before embracing and parting ways wishing the wishing each other luck as malcolm slips away into the shadows caesar embraces his family and the remaining apes proceed to bow down to him ready for caesar to lead them into war caesar then looks into the horizon 
awaiting the conflict started by Koba to begin. Now, and that is the end of the plot. talk about the scene between Malcolm and Caesar right right here at the end I, I think it has to be one of my favorite scenes of the movie you know Malcolm is super emotional he doesn't full-on cry but you can see the tears quivering in his eyes because he he has a moment of realization that what Caesar is saying is right you know and he feels that lost opportunity to create peace between humans and apes. And this moment that they have together, once Caesar grabs his head and puts his forehead against his forehead and the camera's on the side, oh, it is such a moment. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I love that. It is a it is a big moment. I was, I was getting a little bit emotional. I was kind of going, whoa, this is... It's a powerful moment, and we have to give so much credit if we haven't already speaking um, highly of him already. Marco Giacchino's score in this particular scene has mm. to be probably one of my favorite parts of the score because the drums. There's lots of these loud drums, and then it sort of builds and builds, and I'm like, oh, this is such a great, great, great composition. It was. Like the ending in Rogue One, um, mm. it, it just just the music filling the the screen, right, yeah. and, and it did yeah. at the end, and the 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 impending tragedy that, that was about to sort of like happen. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of similar. Yeah. This is like impending tragedy that's just about it to is. happen, even though they've already yeah. gone through so much tragedy. Tragedy, but the real tragedy is coming up with the war that's about to happen, and then parting yeah. ways. It wasn't foreboding or anything like that either. It, it was just it was. Full of melancholy, if anything. Mm. Yeah, I. Mm. It was very, very sad. And then, and then I to see was, Malcolm yeah. sort of have that last look um, at the back of Caesar, and he he drifts into the shadows. It's such a, it's such an emotional scene. And oh man, I was the, the only thing is like I would have wanted more of that. <laughs> I just want more of it. Give me more of it. But, it, but, but I, I mean, I'm not going to ask for any more because I think what we got was was perfect. And I, I just love that scene. It probably, it probably has to be one of my favorite scenes of the movie, which is at the very end. And then it finishes off, as I said at the beginning of this recap, you know, in the recap, it goes from a zoom out shot and this one goes mm -hmm. zoom in shot. And the clarity mm -hmm. on the, vi like the visual effects clarity on Caesar there's a horizon you can even see like in in his uh in the aqueous fluid where the aqueous fluid shows you the reflection in the eye you see the horizon yes. and that it's just all oh, the detail is insane i would not think it's visual effects it's um it's wild to me i wonder how many endings that they like 
conclusions to a movie that they actually put together that would make the audience resonate so much with that yeah. one because they cho- if they did they chose the right ending. yeah yeah i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if they went through a couple of iterations for sure yeah um but yeah it's just it was such a perfect ending to to a great movie i'm so so glad now before we get into the conclusion and our rating for this mm-hmm. i want to spit out a couple of facts here i've only got three because we've spent already a lot, sure. a lot of time on this recap. <laughs> First one is Caesar is named after the Roddy McDowell character of the same name who leads the apes revolution in the original series of the films. The original Caesar is born and escaped from Planet of the Apes, the son of Zira and Cornelius, and his birth name is Milo. Yes. That's probably not news to you because you're very familiar with the old ones. <laughs> yes. Um, next Fact on my list here, Michael Giacchino's score pays homage to the original Planet of the Apes score by Jerry Goldsmith. It is most apparent mm-hmm. in the track, quote, Monkey to the City, unquote. And I think I remember that. It's it's because you hear you hear I don't know what those those noises are, those sounds that you that are very identifiable as that time period of filmmaking, but especially for Planet of the Apes, it's kind of that dun 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 dun. Yes, you understand what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. There's a lot of that kind of stuff, and and, and is it like um, I don't know what you call I don't know, I don't know what you call that instrument, but the one that goes ling ling. Probably didn't even probably didn't even do that. Probably it's it's like yeah, the I'll have to, I'll have to Google that. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, Google. Can you find out what this is? Um. <laughs> It's like the, it's like the sound of of a triangle, but there's a lot of those. It's like dangling metal thing. It was chimes. chimes. Yeah, chimes. Why can I think of that? Um, there's a lot of those sounds, right? Which are from the original too, in that original uh, Jerry Goldsmith score, and and Michael G. Mm. You know, pays a lot of homage to that. It's freaking awesome. It's very, very startling. Um, uh, atmospherics, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. But it, they they paid homage to a few images there, even with the the humans being corralled, oh, yeah. into yeah. cages. The same, yeah, that's right. Identical. The same with the and very first one from you straight back. Yeah, the very first one we're in jail. <laughs> yeah, very clever. Very clever. Um, the last fact that I have here is Cobra was also the nickname of the real life dictator Joseph Stalin. Wow. Ah, uh, yes. Did you know that? Yes. That was his nickname? Well, it, it doesn't escape me as well that Caesar was also the Roman yeah, that know. was portrayed <laughs> by his own people exactly. as well. I just love yeah, that. Yeah. Just love yeah. that. And uh, his uh, wife's name was Cornelia, yep. which was, uh, again, th- that doesn't escape me that Cornelius was the um, oh yeah character yeah. in the in the previous movies yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. I, I like it. I like it. I like that they've um, they've taken inspiration from past characters and past figures, which makes a lot of sense. And to see it displayed uh, this actually, way is very very cool. Yes, and Maurice was actually the name of the actor that played um, yeah. the orangutan in the, in the original right. movie, and it was also well. a, yeah, it was also oh, a orangutan, right? Yeah. Yep. That's right. Loved it. Loved it. Um, okay, so we've spent a lot of time on this. We're going to wrap it up. What is your out okay. of 10 score for this? Um, look, I'll give it uh, – I 
I'm putting it up there with like an 8.6, okay. I, I still think that there's some room for improvement. Um, but overall, it's it's got to be the best one out of uh, the series, yep. without doubt. I just found it like deeper and the 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 characters were so much more deeper in this mm. um, than the others. I found them quite disturbingly um, deep. Yeah. Um, it was... Reeves did such a great job with this. Very, extremely brilliant, brilliant production. Yep. I agree. Awesome. Well, I gave this a nine out of ten. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's not. It's okay. not too dissimilar Fantastic. to to eight point six. No, yeah. Uh, generally, we have a rule. I actually don't. I don't think I've ever told you about the rule. But the rule is that it's either a point five. There's no decimals. Well, there is. There is, but it's um. It's 0. 0.5. <laughs> okay. But if I'm going to go, look, go backwards, I'd rather give it a, a nine as well because I'm, I'm really happy with the movie. Yeah. I, I was, about the end of humanity, I was still quite satisfied <laughs> with the whole thing. <laughs> which, is, so, which is a weird way to think about it, right? It's kind of like, whoa, no, isn't what, it? what side yeah. am I on? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that awful you oh can see God. look like that's just brilliant storytelling though right and and this is this is what we're in this game for yes. right this is what we love about great yes. films is when they can tell great stories and great stories um is is, is a simple yeah. equation connect with characters connect believe the story and enjoy the ride yeah that's the that's the equation for a great film um and keep me wanting keep more. Wanting like more. I, I want, I want to find out what happens. Yeah, exactly. So. I mean, it's like it's it's yeah. the perfect film for a cliffhanger film. You know how there's some movies yes. that try to do cliffhangers, and you're you're really not that satisfied by it because they've probably missed out all these other parts of the film that should have been in there mm -hmm. that should have been would have been important for the characters' um, objectives and whatever. This was a well earned film, and the cliffhanger was incredibly well earned and I, and I couldn't be any more happy. And I'm, I'm really confident in saying that it was so good, not because the, it's preceding movie was so, uh, I'm not going to say ordinary, but it kind of was. Yeah. It, it, it just, it, it did well in so many different areas that it, it didn't need to be compared to the, the, it's preceding movie. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, I, I don't want to rehash that previous episode. You can go check it out, listener, if you haven't already listened to it. That is episode 78. 78? Yeah, episode yes. 78. Um, yeah, I want to rehash that, like what we spoke about. But it's like everything that we said I think was fair, and I think it's true for um, what it was missing to then become a great film. Um, it has all the pieces to the puzzle. It just didn't, well, no, it didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle. It had pieces of the puzzle. It was missing some pieces and it just didn't really bring it together in a coherent way. Um, whereas with this, this is just solid filmmaking, like just solid yes. storytelling and just yes. very, very good. I, I just, and it didn't rely on being an action movie until towards yeah. a small segment in the end. And that a good story. Yeah. And, it was, yeah. It was a good and you story. know what? Like if, the, if there's any scenes in this film that is my least favorite, it's probably the action film, the action scenes. Um, because yeah. like, especially the last, like the battle for between Caesar and Cobra, I didn't care for it that much. Cause I think because like the way it's shot, 
it feels and looks no I don't know feels it looks like a CG fight <laughs> the the lighting and the colors mm. changed I don't know if you noticed this but the photography almost looked like it wasn't cinematography anymore and it seemed like the whole yeah. thing was green screen and and it looked it looked yes. super um, cosmetic um, but the rest of the film looks natural and organic and believable whereas in this mm. part for some reason the lighting just changed and and all the colors were so different everything was a little bit brighter and um i think it's because i'm i'm guessing that it was all done in a green screen room or something like that because it just the photography just didn't look the same compared to the rest of the movie and i don't mind it so much because the movie is so good and I'm willing to forgive certain things. And this, the, these fight scenes are not really that long, so I don't want to pin them for for this particular scene um, just because of that. But it's it was pretty noticeable to me. I was kind of thinking, wow, is it, is sure. It, uh, but it was also absent of a lot of color as well, and that that kind of like threw things a bit yeah. as well. It's very stark in its film. Yeah. Um, so and it was very bright as well. So a total like change from what mm. we were used to leading up to that. Yeah, and, and then it makes more sense narratively, like for for uh, maybe not narratively, but it makes sense for um, Caesar's character arc to get to a point where everything is like a little bit brighter. There's a horizon. The sun sun is like about to rise. I think that moment is very very much earned because of his journey as a character. Um, but yeah, other than that, like the, those fight sequences and some of the action scenes, uh, they're fine to me. But they definitely weren't the highlights of the film. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that ending, like again, it's one of the great, great endings that I've ever seen in a movie. Probably, I mean, my 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 one of my favorite endings, apart from Rogue One, <laughs> um, Rutger Hauer. Um, in Black oh um, yeah, because on the rooftop in the rain, yeah. that, that just it's iconic. That, that's 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 my favorite. That's your favorite, yeah. completely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, wow. I mean, well, okay. So, so real quick, if, if that's your favorite, I just want to hear like your thoughts because I haven't actually asked you. Uh, what did you think of Twenty Forty Nine? Look, it it. So, I know some people really, really loved it. I thought it was a, quite a try-hard sort of movie and it didn't have the same essence um, until we got to the parts where they introduced Harrison Ford. Um, it was one of those movies that I promised myself that I would go back and, and have to re-watch again um, because I didn't feel as invested in it as I did with uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner was just so dazzling in so many ways and and this is why I like science fiction. I love to see an interpretation and vision of someone else's vision of the future. That that just ropes me me in. And not only do I know that humanity has continuity, but just people's visions of the future in film production. Mm. I just love that. And th that's what I loved about um, Blade Runner as opposed to 2049. Yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough, fair enough. Anyway, I just want to give a thoughts on that um we should bring this episode to an end um <laughs> yes it's been very very long thank you so much uh, for your patience i appreciate it 
Um, and um, we're going to see you again for War of the Planet of the Apes. Um, we will try and yes. schedule that for the coming week. Um, I plan on seeing in the next couple of days. I could even watch it tomorrow night. And then we'll try and schedule yeah, the recording of, this, of that podcast review and recap sometime during the week. For the listener, Great. for the listener, thank you so much for jumping in on this review and recap, this journey with us. I hope you've enjoyed the journey just as much as we have and also enjoyed the film equally as much as we have. But if you haven't, that's okay. It's part of it's part of a film going experience is that everybody has differing opinions. Um, if tell us what you thought, send us a comment on on any of the posts that we put up on Instagram, social media, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. To be honest, Instagram is the main place that we that we play. It's the main playground that we like to play in. So in this large, growing um, infiltration of uh, social media platforms, follow us on Instagram at Legit Cool Podcast. Um, and you can find the rest of the show notes in the show notes <laughs> if you want any more information. Um, we have upcoming episodes of films such as Rogue One, like we said that in the earlier in the podcast. Um, we have the MCU that's going to start soon, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, what else do we have in there? Um, there's 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 quite it's quite a lot. Oh, we've got have we've got Zack Snyder's Justice League that we're going to be reviewing and recapping with guests from the UK, um, and so that's going to be pretty exciting. We're still yet to sort of set that up, but nonetheless, there's lots of films to look forward to. Thank you again, Rick, for being on the podcast. Thank you, River, and um, we will say good night to you and good night. Or good morning, wherever you are in the world, to our listener. Bye, everyone.